right now I have the privilege of um, introducing three beautiful women of our church. First of all, we've got Pip Shearer, who is an amazing woman of God. She is in our youth team. She's in our women's team. She's on the coffee team. I don't know what else, but potentially something else, probably. So she will be speaking first, but then we have another beautiful woman of Megan Catapan. She'll be after Pip. She's in our women's team. She's also uh, helps us to facilitate our parenting course. Uh, and also then we'll have Jan Graham, who let's be honest, she's everything. She's a rock in our ha- in, in, uh, at Uni Hill Church. So we love them all, but I'm gonna hand over to Pip. Good morning, guys. It's super exciting to be up here, a little daunting, but that's okay. So our brief is to share a story of women from the Bible. And I was like, amazing, who on earth earth am I going to pick? So I've chosen to go to the story today of um, Mary and Martha. So this is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 41. And I'm going to read it with you now if you guys wanted to turn with me. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I picked this story because honestly, I'm very much a Martha. And and I was like, well, if I can get something out of this story and learn something from it, then maybe there's someone else here in the room can too. And when I think about this story, I'm instantly drawn to my house on Christmas Day. And my parents are here and they'll be able to attest to this, that I'm a big celebrator and I've really placed a lot of value on like setting the table really nicely and making sure that the food is prepped and there's got all the things have all got to go together. So of course, if something goes wrong or not how I expected, I can't help but get a little bit frustrated. I'm like, what is this person doing? They should be helping. They're taking too long to open the presents. Like, come on, can't they see all these dishes that need to be done? Even though that's not what Christmas Day is about at all. I'm just being honest, it's an area that I slip up. And I can't find myself, like every Christmas I'm standing there doing the dishes, I'm like, deep breaths. I'm like, I'm being a Martha. And I wonder if maybe this is something that could have happened for some of the fathers in the house this morning. You had to do, I don't know if you did the brekkie in bed and you're like, all right, kids, this is what I want you to do. You meant to cook the toast and, and you got to like get it, get it there on this time. And I, I wonder if something happened, maybe the toast got burnt. Maybe the kids are actually eating the food. And you said to me like, this is not what I expected to look like. I am frustrated. And so as I was thinking about this, I was like, all right, let's, let's see what the word has to say about this. So um, I'm just going to share with you some verses that stuck out to me this week. And um, yeah, so the first verse I'm going to look at is verse 40. And the first part is, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And what stuck out to me about the first part of this verse was the word had. Because I was like, where did she get this idea that she had to do these things? They're expectations that come from society because it's not what Jesus wants. Jesus didn't go and be like, Martha, do this and this and this. But she had this idea that she had to prepare this meal. She had to busy herself and therefore got frustrated because 
like um, Mary wasn't doing the same. And this made me think like, how often do we get focused on what we think society has for us to do and miss out on being in the presence of Jesus? And then the next part of this verse, she goes, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? And I think that's so funny because I feel like that's kind of our response a lot of the time if we're doing something alone and someone else is not helping. It's like, God, don't you see this? We see that Martha is, she's frustrated. She's feeling that things are unjust and unfair. And I think she's really kind of being like, Lord, don't you see me? Don't you see all that I am doing? And I think there's a part of her that's probably jealous as well because Mary is sitting with Jesus, which is probably where Martha wants to be, but she's caught up in what she had to do. And some of these things that I was thinking and that I've like come to God with this posture before, I'm like, God, don't you see how they speak to me? Don't you see that they're being rude? Don't you see all that I am sacrificing for you? Don't you see that I'm getting no recognition for my actions? Don't you see how much effort I put into that? This is so unfair. And we see that Martha's frustration appears to be stemming from Mary not meeting her expectations. She's attempt- attempting to make her sister appear like she is in the wrong because she's like, Lord, don't you care? All the while she's having her eyes fixed on the wrong thing and missing out that what Jesus actually cares about. Then in response to this, she then goes, tell her to help me. In other words, Jesus, make this right. Intercede for me, you fix it, notice me and make it better. And I think there's something that we can do as well and something that I knew. Okay, I'm doing this over here, God, like don't you see it? Okay, make it right, fix it, you change it, you see me. Again, she's frustrated. Now we move to Jesus' response. Jesus goes, Martha, Martha. And then in other translations he says, Dear Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. What I love about that is that Jesus opens with tenderness. Martha's just come to him frustrated and he's like, he's kind to her. And then when he says you are worried and upset about many things, Martha didn't tell God that she was worried and upset about many things. Jesus just sees that. He sees that there is like an underlying thing going on for her. It's not actually um, just frustration. She's maybe, she's maybe worried about on missing time with Jesus or maybe worried that she's getting caught up doing the wrong thing. And Jesus shows that he actually sees her and he sees her heart by addressing the fact that she's worried and upset about many things. I'm sure this is not how Martha wanted him to respond. I'm sure she probably wanted him to get up, go tell Mary, be like, go in the kitchen and help your sister. But instead he sees her and he loves her like that. The last part of this is that then Jesus says, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. What I love about that is that it's simple. Only one thing is needed. We see that Martha has overcomplicated the situation by focusing on these had to do's and missing out on the one thing, which is sitting with Jesus. Jesus demonstrates that a focus and a desire for him is what is most important and he will not take away and he sees that. And a part of this verse that I love is when he says, it will not be taken away from her. Because there's been times in my journey where I have felt distance from God. And I'm like, why can't I hear from you, God? Where is your presence? And I'm wondering why he isn't speaking to me. And there's always a part of me that's like, God, you said you were going to be near. Where are you? And that verse kind of just speaks into that because he's like, I will not take that away from her. God is not the one that takes his presence away from us. He sees that Mary is sitting on his feet and he's like, that is a good thing. That will not be taken away as a result of wanting to help Martha in the kitchen. 
And I think that is a really beautiful reminder that even just that alone, it will not be taken away from her. So I think in summary, when we focus on what we think we must do according to societal expectations, we one, get frustrated with others, and two, we miss out in being in the presence of God. Martha expected more of Mary and got frustrated as a result of this. And we can often blame others for not meeting our expectations when it was never what God would have wanted for us in the first place. This story reveals that Martha got it wrong, even though she was sure she had it right. She was sure that she had to be in the kitchen preparing a meal because that's what society told her that she had to do. But that's not what Jesus wanted at all. The hads and the haves and these obligations of society is not what is important. God desires a heart that is first fixed on him and draws near, like Mary. God does not remove his presence from us. We create distance from him when we focus on the wrong things. As I said, I picked this story today because I see myself in Martha and it has humbled me and it caused me to repent and makes me want to draw closer to God. And so in light of this, the question that I have been thinking about this week and I want to leave you guys with is, do you ever focus on what you believe is expected of you and miss out on being in the presence of Jesus? I'm now going to hand over to Megan. <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> My mouth is dry, my heart is racing, but I'll give this a go. Thank you, everybody, for the opportunity to share today. When I was first asked to speak on a woman character in the Bible, my initial thought was that I'm actually more influenced by the men. However, I had just recently finished the books of Acts, Romans and Corinthians, where I discovered a woman who inspired me by the name of Priscilla. Now, she's a woman who may be a bit underrated compared to some, her story shows great example of submission to our king's authority and reminds me that we serve the king of all kings. We just sung it, all hail King Jesus. Priscilla's story is far more than a simple story. In so many ways, in a broad picture, it actually reflects the relationship of Jesus Christ and the church. Priscilla had a husband, Aquila. They were instrumental in helping to establish the early church. They were a power couple always mentioned in the Bible as worked alongside one another in ministry, an example of a Christ-centred marriage that really inspires me. Where does it all begin for Priscilla, though? She was a woman settled in her home in Rome, where she's forced to pack up and go. She was uprooted from their home and very soon became a missionary, which she took on with great honour and humility. In Acts 18, 1-3, after this, he left Athens and went to Corinth. When they say he, they're talking about Paul. Where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, who was a commander at the time, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. This prompted a sudden change for Priscilla. Adjusting the change isn't easy, right? Change can be a challenge to us all. I know it can for me. When a challenge presents itself, I pray a lot. And let's be honest, stress. Especially when you know it's that change that creates, you know, that unsettled feeling down deep in your gut. 
We live in a world now where our homes and possessions are very important to us. Like it says in Matthew 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I often ponder on that verse and ask that verse as a question to myself. What does change or a challenge mean to us? Is it that life is unfair or unjust? To me, challenge can present in different forms. I do think God allows challenges to enter our lives at times for a purpose. God places us in areas for a reason. God grows Priscilla as an individual, but equally to those she works with. God can accomplish great things during difficult circumstances. In my line of work as a nurse, it can be very hard to not to emulate my patients' feelings. My challenge is to walk with them, have them trust in me, basically hand their lives over to me in a very daunting and vulnerable time. A big part of my job is to direct these patients on a path where they walk out uplifted. I work with cancer patients, so the medicine I give them literally brings them down. Many times their outlook on life, though, has me walking out uplifted. But God can use me for them and them for me. God wants us to stir up our lives, risk our comfy positions for his plans and purpose, and to lead him and lead and to lead people to him. And not always in the literal sense like Priscilla and her husband, but in other forms like putting aside our potential pride, superiority, admiration we receive, and possibly selflessness. Sometimes I'm so wrapped up in my own world that I'm not even aware that God has set a challenge for me until the result or outcome is right in front of me. That ability to display God's character can only be formed within you through the Holy Spirit and drawn from the Word of God, the Bible. Having the privilege to meet the most incredible, heroic people that every single shift sparks growth, change, challenge and a goal to have a new mindset, I encourage you to find that place in your life that does that for you and practice it by seeking his words as a tool. It can be really fun, actually. Let's continue to live the gospel in, every, in an ever-changing world like Priscilla. While Priscilla's life held great honour, her calling required some suffering. It's suffering that moulds us individually, but also is utilised for good and for God's glory. Maybe not always in our timing or plan. In Priscilla's story, it's written in Romans 16. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Priscilla responded to God with great obedience and submission to his plan. Priscilla showed a quality of blind obedience. I feel that's like a superpower. She was in a fallen world just as much as we are. I was driving past, this is my personal story, a laundromat where I'd seen a young mum and her toddler late at night. Instantly I felt God say to me, go and give that lady $5, just $5. Now for me it wasn't about the money, but it was my time. I didn't have the time. I was in a hurry to get home and I was tired from work. It was cold and inconvenient. So I ignored it. I didn't have blind obedience. And to this day I regret it. I feel though God uses that image or story to remind me to keep submitting to his calling and listen carefully and trust the Holy Spirit. Priscilla goes on creating a real countercultural viewpoint for a woman in that era. This is where the real inspiration for me comes in because we can all see that the Bible had rather radical ideas about the treatment of women. Her husband Aquila and Paul 
who they worked alongside, had no qualms with Priscilla working alongside them. They were tent makers, but she did not just do physical labour. She goes on to spread the gospel and transform lives. Priscilla goes on with her husband and was part of providing a presence that strengthened the early Christian churches. Priscilla also had a quality, profound humility. She saw herself as God saw her, nothing more and nothing less. How nice is it to see people, though, proud of you and to receive honour for something? Do we all, though, 100% set out to do things just for God's glory? Or is there a little part of it just for us? How often do we measure our value through worldly perspective? Judge our own character. Having humility is also being grateful and free from arrogance. It says here in Acts 18, After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. So Priscilla helped Paul and Apollos understand the correct theology for them to fulfill their calling. She enriched those who were teaching the gospel. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and teaching. Priscilla lived the essence of that verse found in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. God wants us to live out virtue. We teach that a lot in Prep for Parenting. Don't be embarrassed to make mistakes in front of others. Having, showing and displaying integrity is an attractive quality, not a weakness. Don't be surprised to find faults and sins in your life. Turn to God and ask him to help you with them. Believe that there is greatness in you. Priscilla did and look at what she achieved. She may not be known or recognised like other female figures in the Bible, but being recognised from God is all we need. Where do we lay our value on? Are we completely fulfilled with God's gratefulness? My last point is Priscilla had perseverance and patience. We all know what that's like as a mum. She would have had to. (laughs) Not everyone is met with open arms when you're trying to teach and explain the facts about Jesus and the love he has for them. This year, my husband and I, it's our first year of having a preppy. It's very cute. I'm going to make myself look like a bad mum in a minute. But teaching preppies how to read. So... Before they go to school, they can't really read at all. And after first term, they're really sounding out words. So C's, K, K, and at, at, and tut, tut. And you sit down every night when you're tired yourself and you're like, right, sound it out, sound it out. Now, my husband and I, we like to tag team. We're about to lose our minds. We have a code word and it's banana. I'm like, banana. You know, we don't want to yell at the kids. We want to just keep it cool. Um, and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, kit, kit, yeah, at, at, well done, tut, tut, yeah, well done. Now, what does that spell, buddy? What's that? And in my head, I'm going, it's cat, it's cat, just say it. He's like, tap. I'm like, pure rage. So <laughs> now I'm sure in Priscilla's travels with her husband, Aquila, they would have met opposition may not have yelled out banana, but perseverance and patience would have been tested. Jesus will test you. See that as good though. It's so clear that Priscilla is the essence of love and marriage. Her heart's desire became matched with God's. They go on to gather a church in her home back in Rome again. So they returned back home. So God had this planned out all along. She was obedient. She had full trust in him and that is unique. I can't wait to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that I get the superpower of blind obedience and profound humility. Priscilla's message for people, I feel, is encapsulated in this last verse. 
And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. That is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15 to 17. My last words are, live boldly and wholeheartedly like Priscilla, and don't forget, you are loved by an almighty God. Thank you. Thanks, Megan. That was amazing. Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day to those that are mothers. The woman that I've been drawn to to speak to you very briefly about, thanks, Charles, is Jochebed. Um, Jochebed was the mother of Moses. And I'm just going to give you a little brief history um, as we lead up to her. In Exodus 1, what was going on in, in the land was that um, Pharaoh, he was being very threatened by the rise of the Israelites, not in their might but in their numbers. And he, was, he wasn't a great ruler. And, uh, and he was saying to his people, this is not good, I can see what's going to happen. These Israelites are going to, in, in, in numbers, they're going to rise and they can join with their enemies and, and, and come against me. I've, I've got to sort this out. So he called in the midwives. They were Hebrew midwives. And he said to them, when you go to the Hebrew women and you are helping them in their birth, if it's a male child, I want you to put an end to that child's life. That was his instruction to them. And that was his way of culling the Israelite people. The, uh, the midwives... Fortunately, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And so they made all sorts of excuses. And they said, you don't understand. These, these Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. Um, they're vigorous. And they just give birth before we even get there. And so it's, it's, you know, it's just not, not working. But Pharaoh knew he had to have a plan. So he's thinking, right, I need a bigger plan here. All right, what I'm going to say then is for his soldiers and... Uh, he said that the torture and the, um, the oppression on the Israelite people needs to come harder and faster and um, oppress them to the point where they can barely breathe, put them to work, that they toil day and night. And again, to his soldiers and to these poor midwives again, when a male child is born, throw them in the Nile. Now, you know... I started to think about that and think of all the things that we could um, be concerned about in this country. When we wake up here, we are blessed. You know, the, the, the things that these people came against was just enormous. So that was, that was Pharaoh's plan. I can't beat them, so I'll try and eliminate them. So then we come to Exodus 2. And all this is going on, and I think Rachel's got the slide for me, but I'll read it to you. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when, he, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the... Oh, well. Wow. 
She placed the child in it and put it amongst the reeds on the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and, and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse him, nurse him for you? Yes, she said, go. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for you and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So a little recap of that is an amazing story because Jochebed has this baby, this male child, and she knows the danger that he's in. She hides him for three months and realises, I can't continue to do this. So she makes a basket. She says to her eldest child, Miriam, I'm going to put him in the water. You, you go downstream and you watch what happens to him. Pharaoh's daughter comes, and I expect that Pharaoh's daughter probably came each day to bathe at, at the river. And the Nile isn't little. It's not like she put him in a little creek. It's a river. Um, so Pharaoh's daughter sees him. God softens her heart when she hears him cry. And then Miriam appears out of nowhere and says, Hey, how about I go find someone who can nurse him for you? And that's what happens. Uh, she, Miriam goes back to her mother and says, Come, you can nurse this baby. So Jochebed gets to nurse her own child. And from what I can find in the scripture, it's for about five years. And I think this is a very significant time and a very significant plan that God had. So, you know, when I heard this story in Sunday school as a child, I guess I had always put it in the context of, this woman must have been so desperate. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I've got to save this child. And is it better that I just send him down the river than leave him here potentially to be killed by the soldiers? But I've looked deeper into this and I don't think that's the case at all. I believe that Jochebed had a Holy Spirit revelation and encounter. And God said to her, trust me. He See, you know, Pharaoh had a plan. But God's plan is always bigger. But this woman, who I've just grown to admire, she had this enormous trust and faith. When, when she was married, she was a Levite woman. She married um, a man named Imran and... Um, they were a godly couple. They came from a, a godly line of people. And, uh, and she knew how to trust and have faith in God. Um, so I don't believe it was an act of a desperate woman. This was a considered um, faith and trust in the God that she knew. So God softens the heart of Pharaoh's daughter and says, Yes, get me a woman who can nurse this child. That's what happened. So Jochebed had this child for, we think, about five years. 
And in that time, because she was a godly woman, she taught Moses the ways of the world, the ways of the Father. She instructed him on who to, on the, the God that she knew that he could trust and he could follow. At the end of that five years, Moses went back into the palace um, and Pharaoh's daughter raised him as her own. Now, when he went into that, that place, he was then exposed to all of the Egyptian ways, all the wealth. We know the Egyptians had many, many gods and he was, he was exposed to all of them, all the power and the money. But he'd had five years of his mother's nurture and he, her instruction and that foundation settled so deep in him. Um, we know the scripture in Proverbs. It says, train up a child in the way they should go and when they're old, they will not depart from it. The rest of this story is Moses, he was probably about 80 years old and he was out in the desert and God was calling him to come and release the captives in Israel and to lead the prisoners. God called to him and he heard his voice because he'd been trained as a child and he did not, even as he was old, he did not depart from that. Um, I just, I, I guess I'm in awe of, of Jochebed that she, she trusted God so much but she knew her part. It wouldn't have been easy for her. It would have been the toughest thing to do. But I do believe that she had this revelation of the Spirit of God to know that I play my part here for five years and I'll put everything that I know into it. The rest I trust God. And she stayed faithful to him. And we know that Moses, he heard God in the burning bush. He knew his voice. He heard him. He led the Israelites out of Egypt. It was Moses that God gave the Ten Commandments to. And had Jochebed not been faithful and, not, and known the word of the Lord herself. The application to this, it's probably fairly obvious, I think, but Jochebed had this sacrificial love for her child, for the Lord, she understood her place and she knew what her role was. And um, I just think if we cannot ever underestimate the influence we have on our children, on our grandchildren, on, on whoever it is that God gives to you, never under, underestimate your influence. Thank you. I'm going to pass back to Charles. Thank you, Jan and Megan and Pip. Why don't we stand? It's probably not the moment for this. Um, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's in my head. You know, instantly I thought, nursing, he's only a 72-month-year-old. That's an awkward picture that I had. That's a lot of long time to nurse. But nurturing uh, is very different. Anyway, anyway, let me bring it back into that moment. Never underestimate the influence that you have within your own house. You know, as Jan was, was speaking there, I really felt the Lord saying, 
that, that's a picture of what's happening in our society today. The strongest influence needs to be the home. Because then they're going out into a world that doesn't accept, that doesn't tolerate what we know to be righteous and what we know to be right. Can't underplay the in influence of mothers. And the whole family in our society is under attack. But today, I think we should pray for mothers. So if you're a mum in this place, could I ask you that you lift your hands and if you're able to be near somebody who's a mum and, and reach out, just put, pop a hand on them appropriately. I'd love to pray. Father, we thank you. You know, as Jan so accurately put, a, a mum that wasn't led by feelings, but was led by the Spirit. It wasn't just an idea, it was a God idea that took a level of obedience and faith and action. You know, all that they could have calculated to go wrong, but rather it was faith to release the child into God's care and God's hands so that that child could walk in the will and the purpose. So Father, I pray for that faith to come upon every woman in our community. That they're not led by feelings, but led by the Spirit. Father, I thank You that we are a community that will give honour where honour is due. Father, I thank You that men and women don't become who they are without obedient parents playing their role. Father, I thank You that You sit over all, but You put passion compassion and wisdom on the parents and on the mothers. So Father, I pray for wisdom to come upon every mother. Father, I pray for wisdom to restore relationships. I pray for wisdom to guide children. I pray for words of knowledge in season. Father, I pray that there would be a Spirit-led community with Spirit-led women. Because Father, we, we pursue You all together. And Father, as we honour You, we thank You that everyone plays the role. But we ask today for a special blessing over our mothers. You know, there's some women in this room today You know, and I honour Jan in particular has served faithfully our family and our church for a long period of time. But there, there are women in this room that have been a rock in their family and are actually are tired. Father, I pray for tired mothers, strengthen their bodies. I pray for mothers that are tired emotionally, strengthen their emotions. Father, I pray for parents and mothers that are beginning to lose hope. Let them hold on to hope and trust in You. Father, I, I thank You that, that Moses was released in faith. For some parents today, that needs to happen so that they can walk in the will and the purpose of God. So today, as we honour You, Lord, we thank You for the women in our lives. 
Bless them, we pray, as they constantly bless us. In Jesus' Name, Amen.